Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Institute of Drafting, a show all about tracking top prospects and analyzing rookies as we watch how they develop throughout the season. My name is Miles Bloomquist, and I am once again your draft professor. Today, we will be quickly sorting through every team's draft, giving out grades, uh, talk about highlights and lowlights of the NFL's first-ever virtual draft. I'll be providing more in-depth analysis in future episodes, so for today, it's just quick analysis and a quick recap. But before we jump into today's episode, let me introduce my special guest. From Regina, Saskatchewan, he's a Twitter god and a 2K master, making his debut on Institute of Drafting, the legend himself. Welcome in, Jet Folk. Hey, thanks, man. That's a hell of an intro. (laughs) All right, well... Jet is a Colts fan and a big Peyton Manning fan, so he's going to help me with uh, today's recaps. He's going to help me giving out grades, highlights, and lowlights. So without further ado, let's just jump into today's lesson. So we're going to go by this alphabetically. We're going to hopefully crank out every team as quick as possible. We're going to start right at the top with the Arizona Cardinals, who picked 8th overall and select Isaiah Simmons, the linebacker safety utility man out of Clemson, then took Josh Jones, 72nd, the offensive tackle at Houston, Lecky Fotu, the defensive tackle from Utah at 114. Rashard Lawrence, the defensive lineman from LSU at 131. Evan Weaver, the linebacker uh, at, from Cal at 202. And Eno Benjamin at a... Oh, shit, I didn't fill out what spot he was taking in. But the running back from Arizona State. Um, overall, I give the Arizona Cardinals an A for this draft. They addressed a lot of issues, especially that defensive line. Uh, I love uh, the uh, Simmons and Jones pick. Uh, that's my highlight for them. Getting those guys to fall to them is a huge boost uh but my low light is that they did not address the interior offensive line and defensive backs uh as well as they could have i mean isaiah simmons can play safety but they could have used another corner they definitely could have used some help on the interior offensive line so that's why they didn't really get an a plus here but overall with the picks they had they still managed to crank out a good draft what do you think about the cardinals jet you know, all in all, I think that's a pretty good draft. Uh, I do worry a bit about that interior line, but I wonder if they think they can get away with a little bit more knowing the mobility that Kyler possesses, especially with the opportunity to roll out and potentially hit a guy like DeAndre Hopkins who can just make room for himself. So I think maybe that might have been the thought process going in. But uh, yeah, all in all, I'd say that's a decent draft. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they've seen Russell Wilson without an offensive line. They've seen him be able to roll out. I wouldn't say Kyler Murray's quite Russell Wilson's skill yet, but overall, I think that they might be able to get away with uh, that leakness in the interior offensive line, just like you said. So we're going to jump over to the Atlanta Falcons here, my team, who selected A.J. Terrell, the 16th overall pick, the corner from Clemson, then got Marlon Davidson, the defensive end, defensive tackle from Auburn at 47, Matt Hennessy, the center slash guard out of Temple at 78, Michael Walker, the linebacker from Fresno State at 119. Safety Jalen Hawkins from Cal at 134. And punter Sterling Hoffrichter from Syracuse at 228. Uh, I tried to look at this as objectively as possible, but I mean, I, I still think the Falcons deserve like an A, A minus here. Uh, my highlight being that they filled their biggest needs with their first three picks, corner, defensive tackle, and guard. Um, Matt Hennessy is probably not going to stay at guard permanently, but he definitely buys them time uh, until Alex Mack retires where he'll move to center and then they'll have to find a new guard. Marlon Davidson was a steal at 47. I'm surprised he was there. Definitely going to create a huge interior threat with him, Grady Jarrett, Tack McKinley, and uh, Dante 
Fowler, and obviously A.J. Terrell, one of the best man-to-man coverage corners in this class, and the Falcons almost purely run man-to-man, so I don't think you need to worry about his zone there. Uh, my low light is that they didn't go after speed at wide receiver, and they didn't grab a running back. They only have Gurley on a one-year deal, and uh, if he has a good year, then you know what? He's going to demand a lot more money than what the Falcons probably can afford, and uh, really, they only have Julio Jones and Calvin Ridley at wide receiver. They did sign Laquan Treadwell, and they have Russell Gage, who's an up-and-coming, you know, rising star per se, uh, but still, I feel like they could have gotten another receiver just to fill round it out. Overall, I think they got most of their needs knocked out. Uh, what do you think, Jet? Uh, you know, outside of kind of hoping that they'd maybe look at the tight end position, I thought it was all right. I, I can see your issue with not grabbing a speed guy, though. Uh, Ridley and Julio can do a lot of the same things, but um, all in all, and I said this name drop here, I said this on the Shooter Shoot pod today. I really, really worry about that defense and specifically the injuries. That's the thing. And it's almost like a string of bad luck. Um, but with a draft like this, you deepen the depths, then it's it's a good way to go about what, what they're trying to do. So I, I like their draft. We're going to jump over to Baltimore here, who I think a lot of people say had a really good draft. I'll agree to that, but let's get through their picks here. Uh, In the first round at 28th overall, they grabbed Patrick Queen, the linebacker from LSU. Uh, In the second round, 55th overall, they grabbed J.K. Dobbins, the running back out of Ohio State. Then they grabbed Justin Matabuke, the defensive tackle from Texas A&M at 71. Devin Duvernay, the wide receiver from Texas at 92. Malik Harrison, the linebacker from Ohio State at 98. Tyree Phillips, the offensive tackle guard from Mississippi State at 106. Ben Bredesen, the guard slash center from Michigan at 143. Uh, Broderick Washington, the defensive lineman from Texas Tech at 170. James Prochet, the wide receiver from uh, SMU at 201. And Geno Stone, the safety from Iowa at 219. Overall, I give this an A+. They pretty much knocked the ball out of the park in almost every pick here. Um, Dobbin, the pro Shane Duvernay, uh, make this Baltimore offense almost unstoppable, which is my highlight. Giving uh, Lamar Jackson all these weapons is super dangerous. And uh, they had a couple good picks there in between with Malik Harrison, who's going to be a start- solid starting linebacker, and uh, Geno Stone, who I can't believe fell all the way to 219. What a grab for them there. Uh, Jet, what do you think about uh, the Baltimore Ravens draft? My only question with it was J.K. Dobbins, and it's not anything to do with his talent. I just wonder about fit. Can they really come up with a scheme where they can fit all of these weapons to make work? I I don't know. Probably. <laughs> you know, Harbaugh's a genius, but uh, at the time of the draft, I was kind of scratching my head a little bit. But, yeah, I can definitely see how this could be a successful draft all in all. Yeah, you definitely make a good point. You know, you could overload too many guys that might not fit. I mean, I could see the Devin Duvernay pick might not be perfect. I think the James Prochet fit is a, is a good fit already, but definitely, you know, Dobbins might not incorporate well, but you never know. Uh, my low light for this is the Broderick Washington pick. He was a huge reach, and he doesn't even fit in the Baltimore system. Nonetheless, they already grabbed a defensive lineman in Justin Matabuke, and they run a 3-4 there, so I don't see what they plan on using Washington for. Kind of a waste of a pick, uh, but we're going to move on to Buffalo here, who uh, traded away their first rounder for uh, Stefan Diggs, but still had quite a haul here. Uh, they got fifth, at 54th, they got uh, AJ Impinesa, the edge rusher from Iowa. At 86, they grabbed Zach Moss, the running back from Utah. At 128, they grabbed Gabriel Davis, the wide receiver from UCF. At 167, it was Jake Fromm, the quarterback from Georgia. 
at 108, Tyler Bass, the kicker from Georgia Southern. At 207, the wide receiver Isaiah Hodgins from Oregon State. Uh, and at 239, Dane Jackson, the corner from Pitt. Overall, I give it a B plus. My highlight being Jake Fromm. What a steal at 167. I know he's not going to be the starting quarterback. Um, but, you know, even as a backup, their backup before was Matt Barkley. And if Josh Allen gets hurt, which he's definitely susceptible to with his big frame and, you know, how much he runs, Jake Fromm could totally step in. He can also help uh, Josh Allen with some, some of his issues. You know, Josh Allen is, you know, a big, powerful arm. But uh, Jake Fromm is, you know, he's all about timing. And I think he can help Josh Allen out with that. So definitely a good pick there. My low light is uh, kind of a pointless kick kicker pick with Tyler Bass. They have Hauschka, who's one of the better kickers in the league. Don't understand why they went with Tyler Bass. He's not even the best kicker on the board at that point. So uh, that's my low light for the Bills. What do you think about the, their draft, Jet? I really, really like that Jake Fromm pick. And I think it goes deeper than just uh, just having that pick and going, well, Jake's there. Like I think that's them looking at it and going, you know what? It's time to push the pace a little bit with Josh Allen. And I know he's good. He's a very good quarterback. But I think Jake Fromm can come in and make him go, oh, boy, I really have to play well or I'm going to sit down. So I like that a lot. Yeah, definitely. Josh Allen's been making strides, but certainly, I mean, not as fast as people would like him to. Uh, He's leading a... Uh, playoff team in the Buffalo Bills, but you know what? If they don't start having success, Josh Allen could find his ass on the bench, that's for sure. We're going to jump to uh, my NFC South rivals, Carolina Panthers. Uh, at 7th overall, they grabbed defensive lineman Derek Brown from Auburn. 38th, they grabbed edge rusher Yatera Gross-Matos from Penn State. At 64, they traded up for safety Jeremy Chin from Southern Illinois. At 113, they picked nickel corner uh, Troy Pry Jr. from Notre Dame. At 152, they got another safety in Kenny Robinson Jr. from West Virginia. At 184, they grabbed Bravion Roy, defensive lineman from Baylor. And they finished their draft at 221 with Stanley Thomas Oliver, the corner from Florida International. Overall, get the Panthers an A-. Uh, zero offensive picks is my low light here. That O-line definitely needs uh, some strength. They did sign or they did trade for Russell Okun, and they traded away Tri Turner. So, I mean, I don't know. That interior is super, super weak, even though they have Matt Paratus. Uh, the tackles, I still don't believe in Okun. He's not anything great, so they need to adjust there. Leaving Teddy Bridgewater kind of exposed to uh, the, the fearsome defensive lines in the NFC. My highlight is that this this defensive-focused draft turns Carolina's unit back into a possible top-10 unit. I think they they addressed all their defensive needs here perfectly. Uh, they, could, they could definitely still use a linebacker, but maybe they turn one of those safeties like Kenny Robinson into a linebacker, try and use him in that role. Don't know, but uh, overall, a great defensive draft, horrible offensive draft because they didn't draft a single offensive player. So what do you think about that Panthers draft, Jet? Man, to me, it just screams like, hey, this is step one of the two-step process. We've built our defense. You know what step two is? We draft Trevor Lawrence because we are not going to be very good next year, and we're going to make sure that Teddy Bridgewater doesn't see the field next year. (laughs) Wow, definitely an interesting take. And honestly, I kind of agree because I said this before. Uh, that Teddy Bridgewater contract kind of reminds me of the uh, uh, what's fuck? What was his name? The uh, Glennon contract that he signed with Chicago. I mean, Glennon did get overpaid, but overall, that's not a contract you give us. You know, your future franchise QB. I think that they're definitely looking at that 2021 class uh, for some QBs. But we're gonna move on to the team that signed Glennon not too long ago. We're gonna talk about the Chicago Bears uh, at 43rd overall. They draft. What? I said dump bears. 
the Bears. Uh, they did not have a first-round pick because of the Khalil Mack trade two years in a row, but they'll get one back next year. But they did get two seconds this year, starting with Cole Komet, the tight end from Notre Dame at 43. Then they grabbed Jalen Johnson, the corner from Utah at 50. Uh, they, tra- they drafted Travis Gibson, the edge rusher from Tulsa at 155. Kendall Vildor, who sounds like a total supervillain, the corner from Georgia Southern at 163. Wide receiver Darnell Mooney, Tulane at 173. At 226 and 227, they went back-to-back offense of linemen with Arlington Hambright from Colorado and Lachavia Simmons at, from Tennessee State. Overall, I give the Chicago Bears a C. Uh, my highlight is they had great cornerback additions with uh, Jalen Johnson and Kendall Vildor being a nickelback. Um, I, I think that, you know, adding that in with Kendall Fuller, uh, or not, sorry, Ken- Kyle Fuller, they're going to have a decent secondary. I mean, they still have uh, Eddie Jackson and Ha Ha Clinton Dix, so I think they're going to have a pretty good secondary. Uh, but my low light is wasting a high pick, uh, Cole Komet, on a position they don't need. Uh, they don't really need a tight end. They signed Jimmy Graham. They have a bunch of young guys there, uh, even if they're not necessarily good. I mean, they have 10 tight ends on the roster. I don't understand why they would draft another one, uh, especially when they needed to go O-line so high with Kyle Long retiring and uh, some weaknesses at tackle. So uh, what do you think about Chicago's draft? I mean, they are just the epitome of mediocre. <laughs> what do you, you know, I, that's the thing. I don't know. I don't have the words to say because it's so every year with these guys, it's what are they doing? What is the plan? Where are we going with this? You build a defense, can't figure out to just grab a piece on offense. You know, uh, I mean, even for example, like you said, I'm a Colts fan. Who was their quarterback during the Super Bowl? When they played the Colts, Rex Grossman. Are you kidding me? Like it's yeah. just, it's it's pitiful. It's it's sad, and it's not anything to do with the Bears fan base or anything like that. And this isn't a distaste for the Bears. It's just a total frustration of seeing a franchise that is as historic as it is being as mediocre as it has been for twenty years. And it's too bad because they should be a lot better. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that, uh, but we're going to move on here to the kings of the draft, per se, with the Cincinnati Bengals, who held the top prize with the first overall pick, of course, being Joe Burrow, the quarterback from LSU. Then they used the 33rd pick on wide receiver T. Higgins from Clemson, uh, using the top of the third round, 65th overall on linebacker Logan Wilson from Wyoming. Then Akeem Davis-Gaithier, linebacker from Appalachian State at 107. Edge rusher Khalid Kareem from Notre Dame at 147. Uh, at 180, they went offensive tackle with Hakeem Adeniji from Kansas and finished off their draft at 215 with linebacker Marcus Bailey uh, from Purdue. Overall, again, the Bengals an A. They pretty much hit on every pick, and they stacked up their linebacking core, which has been a problem for many years. Uh, you know, taking three linebackers here, the, you got your middle linebacker and your two outside linebackers, your will set and your strong set. Definitely uh, a solid set to go around. I love Wilson and I love Gaithier. So, you know what? I say they hit on every pick, especially Kareem and uh, T. Higgins giving Burrow another weapon. Uh, my low light is that they did not address the interior offensive line and uh, not protecting your investment in Burrow is uh, definitely not a bad or definitely not a good idea. And uh, that's going to not leave or it's going to make it harder for holes to open up for Joe Mixon. So what did you think about the Bengals draft yet? Well, you know what everybody wants to talk about. It's Joe Burrow, right? And Absolutely. Uh, you know what? He showed some very, very special skills that you only see every couple, probably 10 years or so. 
but mm -hmm. my worry is that it was such a small sample size. He was very average the year prior. Very, very average. But what he did last year was pretty spectacular at LSU. So, uh, you know, I want to cheer for him. I, I think he's a good kid, and I think he's got an incredible arm. But uh, we'll see. Uh, it's tough. Like, Colin Coward always says, sometimes the hardest part is getting past mismanagement. And I think Cincinnati breeds that, unfortunately. It, it, yeah. can be, it, can, it can be really hard to play the game and also be stuck with management that can't get you the guys you need. So we'll see what happens. But uh, I, like, I like Joe Burrow a lot. So that's, that was a good first pick. Yeah, we will see what happens. And one of the teams that will be trying to stop Joe Burrow next season is the Cleveland Browns. That's who we're going to talk about next. They shored up their offensive line with Jedrick Wills Jr. out of Alabama at offensive tackle at 10th overall. Then they grabbed safety Grant Del Pete at 44th out of LSU. Then they uh, went on the defensive line, grabbed Jordan Elliott from Missouri at 88. Then they did uh, went to their linebacking core with Jacob Phillips, the linebacker from LSU at 97. Then at 115, they went tight end Harrison Bryant from uh, Florida Atlantic. At 116, they went back to the offensive line with Nick Harris, the center guard from Washington, and finished off their draft with a very fast athletic character in wide receiver Donovan Peoples-Jones out of Michigan at 187. Overall, I give the Cleveland Browns an A+. Uh, they addressed every need that they had. Uh, I don't even have a low light for them. I think this is one of their best drafts here. I think they knocked on every need that they had, addressed them at the proper rounds. Um, I mean, the Thailand spot may be a little bit questionable, but they want to move on from Njoku, so they definitely grab a second spot here, or a second tight end here to replace him and, uh, you know, sort of force that issue that he'll be gone soon. Uh, the offensive line picks with Wills and Harris. Oh, man, I love those ones. Harris is a steal at 160. And not only that, but I knew that the Cleveland Browns needed to get a third string wide receiver to play with Landry and Odell. And who else to keep up with them? with Donovan Peoples-Jones. He can also return the ball as well. And, I mean, Odell and uh, Landry are great returners as well. So a very similar archetype there. I love these picks. I think Baker Mayfield is going to have an amazing year. What did you think about the Browns draft, Jet? I thought that in my lifetime of watching football, this is the best draft I've ever seen the Browns have. Uh, they addressed every single need. And you know what? It, it almost appeared as if they actually cared what the fans thought. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like they went on Twitter read the read the tweets and stacked them all up and they went oh hey sounds like we need an o-lineman <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah no they they just crushed it that that was probably a top three draft this year in my opinion yeah, I absolutely agree, and uh, Browns fans can get excited that Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski, the new management there, they've already knocked the ball out of the park with their draft. Let's see how the season goes, but uh, we're going to move on to another team that a lot of people... Oh, go ahead. Cleveland Browns. If they don't start... Like, actually, this is the year. This is the year. I'll say it right now. If they don't make playoffs this year, there's no excuses. Like, this is... you. You're good enough now. Yeah, I mean, the only reason I could maybe see is that, you know, Stefanski in his first year, I don't know if he's calling plays or not, but getting used to that system, as a Falcons fan, I've seen the Falcons try and try again and get used to new systems. It usually takes a year or two, but uh, you got to see yeah. that progress for sure. you got to see them get close to the playoffs at least, no excuses. Otherwise, they can't be another 6-10 team. Uh, but we're going to jump on yeah. to another team that a lot of people thought 
won the draft. Uh, we're going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, at 17th overall, they caught a falling C.D. Lamb, wide receiver from Oklahoma. Then they grabbed Stefan Diggs' brother Trevon, co- the cornerback from Alabama, at 51. At 82, they caught another sliding player, Neville Gallimore, the defensive lineman from Oklahoma. Uh, at 123, they reached a bit for Reggie Robinson II, the corner from Tulsa. At 1... Oh, my God, I can't pronounce this guy's name. But at 146, they caught center Tyler Biadich? Biadach? Is- <laughs> the center from Wisconsin. At 179, they caught another falling player, edge rusher Bradley Anay from Utah. And at 231, they selected quarterback Ben DiNucci from James Madison University. Overall, I give the Cowboys a grade of an A. Uh, my highlight being that their first three picks were all first-round worthy. I think both Lamb, Diggs, and Gallimore are all first-round worthy picks. Um, they all fell right into their lap. I mean, uh, with the Tyler Biadich, uh, you know, you get a franchise center there to replace Frederick and Bradley and Nay. They had five guys drop to them, and I think that is just so lucky. I don't know why those guys dropped. That could be a, a telltelling or a, a tell-all sign that maybe these guys aren't as good as we think. But um, if they are, then the Cowboys sure as hell got a steal of a draft. My low light, and the reason being why I don't think the Cowboys had the best draft personally, was because they reached on Reggie Robinson when there were better cornerbacks available. Uh, that's my only reason why I don't think they had the best draft. I think that was kind of a waste of a pick. Uh, I know they need corners, but there were definitely better ones on the board, and they already had Trevon Diggs, so they didn't even need to address it that fast. Uh, overall, good draft. What did you think, Jet? You know, I thought that they it's too bad because I was actually going to say exactly what you just said but um I really liked uh that they weren't afraid to pull the trigger on CD because I mean obviously they were in a good enough situation when it came to Cooper and Gallup they obviously were thinking like oh you know what eventually we're just gonna not pay Gallup let him go and then CD's gonna fill that role because he's got that five-year rookie deal but uh Outside of that, like you can't knock it too much. Um, they they got digs. That's huge, and I, I like what I see out of these Cowboys. I'm not worried about the offense. I'm still worried about the defense. So we'll see. Yeah, I mean, a lot of defensive picks there, so you just got to see how those rookies change that defense for the better. But we're going to jump to the team that I say that won the draft, and that's the Denver Broncos, because at 15, they grabbed Jerry Judy, wide receiver from Alabama. Then at 46, they grabbed wide receiver KJ Hamler from Penn State. Then they flip uh, flip to the opposite side. They go cornerback Michael Ojudamia from Iowa at 77. Then they go interior offensive lineman Lloyd Cushenberry II from LSU at 83. Then they flip the script again and go defensive lineman McTelvin Aguim from Arkansas at 95. Then they grab a pair, uh, a pair, uh, sorry, someone to pair up with Noah Fant, tight end Albert. <laughs> I can't do it. Aquagunum, I think it is, uh, out of Missouri at 118. Then they go Justin Stranad, a linebacker uh, from Wake Forest at 178. Then they grab uh, guard Natani Moody from Fresno State at 181. Then they grab another speedy wide receiver, Tyree Cleveland from Florida at 252. And with the second last pick in the draft, 254, they grab Derek Tuska. Tuska, I don't know how to say his name. Edge rusher from North Dakota State. Like I said, best draft class in my opinion, A+. They didn't need a lot on defense, but when they, where they did need defense, uh, like on that defensive line and linebacker and definitely another corner, 
they got it. Justin Schrenad fell right into their lap. I think that was a huge deal. McTelvin Aguim is a guy that can get to the quarterback from the defensive tackle spot. They've been searching for a defensive tackle for a long time. That's a great pick there. Um, they lost Chris Harris. They gained A.J. Boye, but they definitely still need another corner, and that's why they take Michael Ojemudia. There we go. Um, I think he's a lengthy, fast guy that will help uh, You know, him and Boye are going to be locked down for sure. And even an edge rusher and Derek Tuska from North Dakota State. An FCS guy, a small school developmental project, certainly can turn out to be something, but you never know. But the reason that they are my best draft class is the wide receivers, is the tight ends, is the linemen, is... This is like you gave Locke everything he needs to be successful. There's no excuses. They have the resources to keep up with the Kansas City Chiefs in Judy, Hamler, uh, Sutton, Fant, Philip Lindsay, uh, Melvin Gordon, Albert Aquabunum, uh, a great offensive line that features guys like Natani Moody, Lloyd Cushenberry, um, uh, what's the, the Garrett Bulls. Uh, I, th- I think they've got a good center there too. Uh, oh, yeah, Dalton Reisner in the second-round pick from last year. Uh, so a young and great offensive line. There's not an excuse in this world other than that they're young and they need to gel together early on uh, that the Denver Broncos don't turn into a superpower offense. Uh, so best draft class, in my opinion. What did you think, Jet? Man, I this is why I have so much respect for the Denver Broncos. They could have easily tried to trade up or even just at their position, draft a quarterback, like saying that potentially they're not completely sold on Drew Locke, but they're committed. They're going to give it a shot. And that's why I love them so much. They never back down. They're always trying. They're always trying to win. It's never a, a tank type of team. They're, they're not going to be in on Lawrence. And that's, I love that. I love that about them. So uh, yeah, this is a committed franchise that likes the guys that they have in the locker room and they're going to see what they got on the field come, uh, come game time. So I, I can respect that a lot. Absolutely. We're going to move on to another uh, team here. We're going to talk about the Detroit Lions, who uh, had the third overall pick in the draft and did not trade back. They used it on Jeff Okuda, the corner from Ohio State. At 35th overall, they selected running back DeAndre Swift from Georgia. At 67, they took edge rusher Julian Aquara, pairing himself or pairing him with his brother Romeo Aquara, the another edge rusher, both from Notre Dame. Uh, at 75th overall, they got guard Jonah Jackson at Ohio State. And then at 121, another guard, Logan Stenberg from Kentucky, my boy. At 166, they grabbed wide receiver Quintez Cephas from Wisconsin. At 172, they grabbed running back Jason Huntley from New Mexico State. And at 197, they grabbed defensive jackal John Penasini from Utah. And at 235, they finished their draft with another defensive tackle, Jashawn Cornell from Ohio State. Overall, I give it a B plus. Uh, Jeff Okuda, obviously a lockdown corner, but my highlight is that they secure the interior of their offensive line with Stenberg and Jackson. Um, they have a great center in uh, Frank Ragnow. They've got a good tackle in Taylor Decker. Uh, I don't know if they have a good right tackle or not, but you know what? Uh, if four out of five offensive linemen are good and one's mediocre, uh, that's pretty good O-line. Uh, it's time to give Matthew Stafford the weapons he needs. Uh, I think there was a quote saying somewhere, I forget who it was from, but it's not Matthew Stafford that's been the problem. It's his mediocre team that he's always had. He's always had a below-average team around him, and I can agree with that. Uh, aside from wide receiver, they've never really given uh, Stafford much, but now he's got a couple tight ends at Hawkinson and Jesse James, uh, a couple wide receivers with um, 
Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones, and now Quintez Cephas. Uh, two running backs, on Johnson, DeAndre Swift, and a nice O-line to complement that. So overall, give it a B plus. I think that this is um, definitely a, a good draft. My low light is that their latter half of the draft wasn't anything special. I think they just kind of wasted a few picks. You know, maybe just some depth uh, guys that, you know, come in when guys get injured. Uh, so what do you think, Jet? Well, you know, it's just that common uh, history of the the Lions where it's either they have a good defense or a good offense. Um, I'm interested to see which one it is next year <laughs> because I can never guess. Uh, I do and I don't feel bad for, for Stafford. I mean, he's had, well, I mean, debatably one of the greatest receivers of all time in Calvin Johnson in the past and... Uh, as good as they were, they couldn't get the job done then. And you could say, well, they didn't have the defense. But, I mean, Stafford, if you're as good as you think you are, you got to get it done when your offense is that good. Um, but you know what? I, I do like the draft. I love Okuda. Love Okuda. So we will see what happens. But, uh, yeah, all in all, I'd say that's a, I wouldn't say mediocre draft, but like a slightly above average draft for sure. We're going to move to an NFC North rival with the Green Bay Packers, who I think have the second most controversial draft class uh, in here. Uh, we're going to start at right away with their first-round pick. At 26 overall, they selected Aaron Rodgers' successor, Jordan Love, the quarterback from Utah State. Love Everyone it. Knows. <laughs> he loves it. I love uh, it. At 62, they grabbed running back A.J. Dillon from Boston College. At 94th overall, they grabbed tight end Josiah Deguara, Cincinnati, one of my diamonds in the rough. At 175, they grabbed linebacker Kamal Martin from Minnesota. At 192, offensive lineman John Runyon from Michigan. At 208, they grabbed center Jake Hansen from Oregon. Back-to-back picks here at 209, they grabbed offensive lineman Simon Stepaniak from Indiana. At 236, they grab safety Vernon Scott from TCU. And uh, to finish off their draft, 242 edge rusher Jonathan Garvin from Miami. I give this a D plus, Not because the players they picked were necessarily bad, but my low light and the reason why it's so bad is that they have a lot of starters for the future. And they didn't go into this draft with a win-now attitude when they were one game away from the Super Bowl and Rodgers has to be pissed that they didn't get him anything to just give them that little boost that could have gone into the Super Bowl. I mean, this pretty much cements that the Packers will be great for, you know, another 10, 20 years maybe uh, if Jordan Love turns out to be good. Uh, you know, and Deguara, once again, my diamond in the rough, he'll be a great tight end to develop along with him. A.J. Dillon could take over once uh, if they don't want to pay either Jamal Williams or uh, Aaron Jordan. What was it? How do I forget his name? <laughs> Uh, I I forget the Packers running back's name, but um, Aaron Jones, there we go. Uh, if they don't want to pay Aaron Jones, A.J. Dillon can come in and take over. Uh, and obviously some offensive linemen. They've already got a great offensive line, but once the, those guys are getting kind of old, so these guys can develop along behind them. And then once Jordan Love steps in, and A.J. Dillon steps in, they can all have a, they can still have a very good team that's already ready. Uh, so that's why I give it a D plus, just because they could be in the Super Bowl right now. 
or not right now, but they could be looking like they would go to the Super Bowl uh, if they had just gone with that win-now attitude, but instead they settle for a draft that's preparing themselves for the future, and uh, Rodgers probably is not very happy. But what did you think about this draft, Jed? Obviously, love you it. said you yeah, loved no, love, love, so let's draft. hear about that. I would have gone the complete opposite way. I'd probably give it a B plus, maybe an A-. minus. And my reasoning here is that I think they looked at the NFC final and the Super Bowl. They looked at San Francisco and Kansas City, and they just saw two teams that no matter what you tried to add this year, I'm sorry, you're not beating either of those teams. And Rodgers, this is big time on you, man. I mean, it has been year after year after year of you apparently potentially being in this GOAT conversation, and yet here we are again with you still with one Super Bowl. You know, so at some point the onus has to be on the quarterback. Uh, and so they decided, you know what, maybe let's prepare for our years after Rodgers. They did the same to Favre, and it worked out pretty good. So, Great words of Jerry Krause, organizations win championships. So uh, we're going to move on to an organization that isn't winning, cha- or isn't winning championships. Talk about the Houston Texans. Uh, you know what, they lost DeAndre Hopkins, they lost... Uh, to Devion Clowney, and they didn't have a first overall pick. But I like their draft, so let's dive right into it. At 40th overall, they grabbed defensive lineman Ross Blaylock from TCU. At 90th, at 90, they grabbed edge rusher Jonathan Greener from Florida. At 126, offensive tackle Charlie Heck from North Carolina. At 141, John Reed, the corner from Penn State. And at 171, Isaiah Coulter, wide receiver from Rhode Island. I give it a B plus. My highlight being that this is a short but very sweet draft. Uh, just really, if they had more picks, this could have been something special. I love the Blaylock and Greener pick. They needed an edge rusher and they needed a defensive line. So they really spice up that defense now. John Reed's going to be a solid nickel corner. Once again, something they need because Bradley Roby, you know, being the sort of the top guy there, uh, it, you know, he's normally the the nickel slot guy, but he has to take over that top spot for the most part. Uh, I love the Isaiah Coulter pick. That's a, that's a huge pick up there. He's a solid guy. Uh, working with Brandon Cooks and Mill Fuller, he can be a solid slot. My low light is uh, I don't see where Charlie Heck fits in because they have Laramie Tunzel, who they just gave a $22 million per year extension for the next three years, and they drafted Titus Howard last year. Uh, so I, I don't understand why they went with another offensive tackle. It's a high pick for a backup, uh, and unless they want to bump him in, I don't I don't see what they, they're going to do with him other than have him as a backup. Uh, so it's kind of a waste if that's what they do, but what did you think about this? Uh, the Texans draft yet well with the tackle I was thinking maybe that's just a rotation thing they could be looking at it as a situation where they're getting pretty tired and so it'd be good to have a third guy but um, I think this is another situation where they're looking at Sean Watson being young enough that they can maybe start to kind of half Asked rebuild you know what i mean like yeah they'll still be, they'll still be in the mix but they're also trying to like almost suck sort of <laughs> you know to raise draft stocks a bit build up and maybe like really hit the scene in the afc south in the in like three to four years yeah, absolutely. We're going to jump over to uh, your NFC South, or AFC South team, sorry, and uh, the Texans' rival here with the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, at 34th overall, they drafted wide receiver Michael Pittman out of USC. At 41, they traded up for running back Jonathan Taylor from Wisconsin. At 85, they grabbed safety Julian Blackman from Utah. At 122, quarterback Jacob Eason from Washington. At 149, offensive lineman slash guard Danny Pinter from Ball State. At 193, defensive lineman 
and Robert Windsor from Penn State. At, and then we got three back-to-back-to-back pits here, 211, 212, 213, starting with cornerback Isaiah Rogers from Massachusetts, wide receiver Desmond Patton from Washington State, and safety linebacker Jordan Glasgow from Michigan. I'm going to let you start on this since it's your team. What did you think about the Colts draft? Well, this is just Chris Ballard doing Chris Ballard things. It's almost like he's taken a page out of Bill Belichick's book because he's learned the ins and outs of the draft, knowing when is the time to sit, when is the time to trade up, and when is the time to stack later picks. I really, really like what they did with the team. And, hey, I got a question for you. See, I'm smiling big. What's the reason, Miles? It's because of Jacob Eason. Eason's the reason. That's correct. I love that pick. I thought he was the sleeper quarterback of the draft, and I couldn't believe that we actually got him in the fourth round. Uh, Going into the draft, he was almost touted as like a late first-round pick by most. So I really, really like that. Um, Yeah. I think Jonathan Taylor goes without saying. In my opinion – that was the best running back in the draft and they traded up to get him. And I love that. So uh, again, name drop shooter, shoot pod. I dropped this one. I think this team goes as far as Phil rivers will take them. What about you? I give this draft a grade of an A, and you're right. This team is all in on Phillip Rivers, and as much as the gas as he's got in the tank, that's, you know, whether that's all the way to the Super Bowl or maybe barely even into the playoffs. Um, I think Jacob Eason has a great mentor here because Rivers, he obviously knows that his time is coming to an end and that Jacob Eason is going to take over the Colts right after he retires. He's not going to be impartial to being a mentor. I think he'll gladly take on that role. You know, Philip Rivers will ease himself into this system, this offensive system that the Colts have. So I don't think he'll worry too much about having to learn a system for himself as much as he'll just have to teach Jacob Eason the ropes of the NFL, which he absolutely needs to learn. Um, I give this draft class an A. The highlight being that they have so many win-now players like Michael Pittman, Jonathan Taylor, and Julian Blackman. Uh, But these guys can develop into franchise cornerstones, into all-pro players once uh, Jacob Eason takes over the team. Like Jonathan Taylor could be a 2,000-yard rusher, and Michael Pittman could be the number one receiver. So uh, that's what I love about this draft. My low light being that they should have addressed the cornerback. Um, they, uh, they, I think they ended up actually trading a corner for one of those picks, uh, one of those 211, 212, 213. So they're a bit weak there now. Um, they have Kenny Moore and they have Rocky Sin, but they lost Pierre Desir and now they don't have Quincy Wilson. So I think they should have tried grabbing a corner higher up. I mean, I know they got Isaiah Rogers, but it's a seventh rounder. You, you don't really expect too much from that. So overall, an A. Let's move on to the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, talk about their draft because I think they had a pretty decent draft. At 32, they grabbed running back Clyde Edwards-Hilaire from LSU. At 63, they grabbed linebacker Willie Gay Jr. from Mississippi State. At 96, offensive tackle Lucas Niang from TCU. 138, safety Legeria Sneed from Louisiana Tech. At 177, edge rusher Michael Dana from Michigan. And to finish off the draft, 237, cornerback Thakarius Keys from Tulane. I gave it a B. My highlight being they finally got an every down back who can take the load off of Mahomes. You can hand the ball off to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire five times, six times in a row. They did it all the time at LSU. 
even though they had Joe Burrow. Um, kind of a similar thing because Joe Burrow, you know, was such an electric quarterback at LSU, and Mahomes is the most electric quarterback uh, in the NFL. So Edwards Hilaire will be used to taking the load off. A uh, couple good defensive picks in Legeria Sneed and Willie Gay. Love those picks. Sneed gives them the speed that they, you know, are so into. And Willie Gay Jr. finally a starting middle linebacker for them. My low light being that, I mean, yeah, they got a corner in the 237th overall, but they probably could have used one of those higher picks on a corner like New Luke, where they took Lucas Niang. I like that pick, but, uh, you know, they have Eric Fisher and they have Mitchell Schwartz who are starting right now. Niang will take over, you know, once the, one of those guys leaves or if he just starts outperforming one of them. But they could have probably used that spot on a corner, which they really need, especially with Kendall Fuller leaving. So what do you think about the Chiefs draft, Jet? Well, I mean, you add a running back like that, are you kidding me? Who's going to stop this offense outside of maybe San Francisco? And you know what? Andy Reid figured them out too. This is going to be a crazy team to watch next year. I, that offense is going to be special. Yeah, I, it's just insane how this offense keeps getting better. And a pick like Niang, make sure that it will stay better in the foreseeable future. We're going to move on to the one of two Los Angeles teams. And we're going to talk about the Los Angeles Chargers. At the sixth pick, they grabbed quarterback Justin Herbert from Oregon. At 23rd overall, they traded up for Kenneth Murray, the linebacker from Oklahoma. At 112, running back Joshua Kelly from UCLA. At 151, Joe Reed, the wide receiver from Virginia. At 186, safety Alohi Gilman from Notre Dame. And at 220, wide receiver KJ Hill from Ohio State. I give it a B. I think the Josh Kelly pick is a total steal. I think he might end up being their starting back. I know Eckler re-signed, but he's more of like a gadget back, catch the ball out of the backfield, you know, stretch plays. He's But Kelly's a guy that can run in between the tackles, take it three plays in a row. He's got a lot of power, not crazy on the speed, but you know what? He can fill that Melvin Gordon role, taking the ball off three, four, five straight times. Uh, I love that pick. I think it's a total steal. My low light being that trading up for Kenneth Murray was puzzling, giving up a second and a third round for that. I mean, they didn't need Kenneth Murray. I'm sure he improves their linebacking core, but, you know, bigger needs there than Kenneth Murray, I think. What did you think about the Chargers draft yet? Well, rather than a statement, I think I want to come in with a question because I think a lot of people would be curious about this. What – I shouldn't say what. When does Justin Herbert come into the fold, and what do you think he brings to the team? I think Herbert comes into the fold whenever Tyrod Taylor gets injured or – whenever the Chargers get eliminated from the playoffs, much like Drew Locke last year. And very similar in that reason, he brings a very big arm. You know, he brings a lot of experience, a high football IQ um, with his multiple years at Oregon. Um, he does have a couple of accuracy issues, but he ironed them out in uh, his his last year at Oregon. So, you know, that's definitely, if it's trending in the right way, that's awesome. And you give Keenan Allen a guy that can throw him the ball 70 yards downfield. I, I mean, that's that's absolutely what Keenan Allen needs right now. Uh, old Bones, Philip Rivers, couldn't throw it that far for sure. So bringing, yeah. bringing that energy into L.A. Uh, is certainly what they need. I think that's what Herbert brings to the table. No, I completely agree there. Uh, my only concern with the team being that I wonder if once Herbert gets in that he might have the team playing a little bit too good. Uh, because by the time he gets in there, I got to imagine Tyrod probably two and four or three and five, something along those lines. And if Herbert comes in and is instantly as good as I think is, he might be 
they could end up being like a seven to nine kind of team where they end up sitting in purgatory as far as draft picks go in uh, future years that could really help develop that team as a whole. But we'll see. Uh, all in all, though, I really like the draft for them. I thought picking Herbert was the smart pick. I, I really liked him. I really liked Love and I. So those are those are solid, solid quarterbacks. We're going to flip over to the other L.A. team here and talk about the Rams, who gave up their first-round pick for all-pro cornerback Jalen uh, Jalen Ramsey. Um, they started off at 52 with running back Cam Akers from Jalen Ramsey's uh, alma mater, Florida State. Then they picked just five picks later at 57 with wide receiver Van Jefferson from Florida. At 84, they took Terrell Lewis, the edge rusher from Alabama. At 104, safety Terrell Burgess from Utah. At 136, tight end Bryson Hopkins from Purdue. At 199, safety Jordan Fuller from Ohio State. At 234, linebacker Clay Johnston at, from Baylor. At 248, kicker Sam Sloman from Miami, Ohio. And at 250, they selected guard Tremaine Ankrum from Clemson. I give it an A-. minus. Their first three picks, they addressed the needs that they had from players they left, that left in free agency, whether it was by their choice or through trade. Replace Gurley with Cam Akers replace Cooks with Van Jefferson, and replace Fowler with Terrell Lewis. That's a that's a smart move because those were key pieces for the Rams. Uh, now you get these guys under long contracts, and you don't have to pay them so much. Uh, Cam Akers, you know, he comes in and he could take as many reps as he wants because at Florida State he took them all the damn time. Uh, uh, with a bad offensive line, mind you, and the Rams have a okay offensive line. I mean, that was great two years ago. It was not great last year, so I'd say it's mediocre. Van Jefferson comes in, immediately becomes a slot wide receiver. Cooper Cup out, out on side being your number one. Robert Woods being your massive deep threat. Van Jefferson being the speedy guy over the middle. I love that. Terrell Lewis taking over for Dante Fowler. You know, Alabama edge rushers, it's really hard to miss on those guys. I, I think Terrell Lewis could have gone a lot higher. You know, I had him as a first round pick at one point. I, I don't understand why he fell so much. Uh, probably because of his combine, his, you know, virtual pro day. I'm not really getting to see so much of him. Uh, that's probably why he fell. My highlight, well, that was my highlight, replacing all those key players. Uh, but my low light is they have John Johnson and they have Taylor Rapp, who they drafted last year. Why did they draft two more safeties, uh, especially Terrell Burgess, so high? I mean, I guess one could be a strong safety, but still, that means that you're misplacing either Rapp or Johnson. I'm, and Johnson is a strong safety, Rapp being the free safety. Uh, so I don't understand that. And then Jordan Fuller just seems pointless to me. Uh, I don't understand those safety picks, so that's my low light. That's what stops them from getting either an A or an A-plus here. Um, although I do like that they finally replaced Greg, Greg DeLeg with a, with a rookie, Sam Sloman. I've, I've never heard of him, but I'm sure he'll do great things for L.A. So what did you think about the Rams draft yet? Well, I was just going to say about those safeties. I think it's kind of that uh, same thing I was talking about when I was talking about the Buffalo Bills with the draft of Jake Fromm. I think it's one of those things where maybe they won't necessarily have a part of the team right off the get-go, like year one, but I think it's about setting the fire under the asses of guys that are already there. Of uh, You need some motivation. You need a reason to play. And uh, when you got somebody coming up the rear that could take your job, that's that's a good way to do it. Yeah, absolutely. 
And we're going to talk about the team that dealt Jalen Ramsey to the Rams. We're going to look at the Jacksonville Jaguars, who had a boatload of picks. So we're going to fire through these as quick as possible. At nine, cornerback C.J. Henderson from Florida. At 20, edge rusher Calavon Chason from LSU. At 42, wide receiver LaVisca Chenault from Colorado. At 73, defensive lineman Devon Hamilton from Ohio State. 116, offensive tackle Ben Barch St. John's. 137, cornerback Josiah Scott from Michigan State. 140, linebacker Shaquille Cordoban out of Miami. 157, safety Daniel Thomas from Auburn. 165, wide receiver Colin Johnson from Texas. 189, quarterback Jake Lutton from Oregon State, 206 tight end Tyler Davis from Georgia Tech, and 223 cornerback Chris Claybrooks from Memphis. I give it an A. My highlight, well, they got a great haul of players at pretty much every position. Cornerback, uh, edge rusher, safety, defensive lineman, linebacker, quarterback, tight end, um, offensive tackle. My low light being that the one spot they missed, probably one of the more important ones as their interior offensive line. Uh, I mean, they have Andrew Norwell, but they don't really have a center or a right guard to uh, really help protect that interior and open running lanes for Fournette and, you know, whoever else is back there if Fournette gets dealt. Um, I love those. That's the top three there. CJ Henderson, Chason, and LaVisca Chenault. Three first-round picks right there, even though Chenault was a second-rounder. He should have been a first-rounder. You give Minshew two great wide receivers with Johnson and Chenault, adding to... uh, D.D. Westbrook, and D.J. Chark. Uh, overall, a great draft for me. Uh, what did you think about their draft, Jet? Uh, you know, I think that they added pieces at multiple positions. It, it's kind of that same thing that I was talking about with Carolina. Of they're, they're building up in other spots because I think they're prepared to lose. They're getting ready, and they're going to be in on that sweepstakes. Um this is a team that perpetually puts out just mediocrity and it's unfortunate and it's probably tough for those fans down in Florida, but, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you get lucky next year and you get your guy and he's got long hair, good at throwing footballs. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about another team here. We're going to try and get through these as fast as possible. Another team that had a lot of picks in is Miami Dolphins. Three first-rounders. Let's get through these as fast as possible. At fifth overall, quarterback Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. At 18, offensive tackle Austin Jackson from USC. At 30th, cornerback Noah Igbenogene from Auburn. At 39, interior offensive lineman Robert Hunt from Louisiana. At 56, defensive tackle Raekwon Davis from Alabama. At 70th overall, uh, safety Brandon Jones from Texas. At 111, interior offensive lineman Solomon Kinley from Georgia. At 154, Jason Sturobridge, the defensive lineman from North Carolina. At 164, edge rusher Curtis Weaver from Boise State. At 185, long snapper Blake Ferguson from LSU. And at 246, wide receiver Malcolm Perry out of Navy. I give it an A. Uh, my highlight being that the O-line got stripped to its roots this offseason, but they just picked up three, keys in this dra- uh, three key pieces in this draft with Austin Jackson, Robert Hunt, and Solomon and Kinley, two big bodies in the middle and one finesse guy on the outside. I love it. Two was going to get some protection. They still need to fill in a couple more rules there, uh, but I'm sure they can hammer out those either in next free agency or the next draft, or, you know, maybe a couple guys in this free agency if they're still left. Um, I love the Curtis Weaver pick. I, I can't believe he fell all the way there. Underrated Malcolm Perry, the wide receiver out of Navy. I think that he might be able to do big things in Miami. I love Navy players. I think they're always very productive, uh, even though like, they never really make it to the NFL. My low light, long snapper picks are stupid. 
that that's all I gotta say. That, that's <laughs> such a stupid pick, picking a you long know, snapper. You know, I thought you were gonna say that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so uh, you're you're talking already. So what do you think, Jet? What about this uh, Miami Dolphins draft? Honestly, I thought they had one of the best drafts of uh, the whole thing. Um, I think that there's just a lot of holes on the team, and they're doing everything in their power to fill them. So. I, I like the forward thinking. I, I like that, uh, you know, they're, again, kind of setting up for what could potentially be a Lawrence spot. And, I mean, yeah, I, I know I keep bringing him up a lot, but it's it he's one of those players that is that influential. He's kind of like when the last one would have been Andrew Luck. You know, teams just start preparing for, well, if we get the Luck pick, we're, we're ready to go, that sort of thing. And so... When I when I talk about it in that sense, I get pretty excited because, uh, yeah, Miami, that's another spot that would be really good for them. Yeah, I mean, this whole team can strip to its roots. Uh, I don't even mention that with the O-line, but uh, you could say that analogy for this entire team. Um, they pretty much need it everywhere except maybe wide receiver and tight end. Um, overall, this is a start. They're going to need it more next draft and next free agency, so this team isn't ready to compete quite yet, but they're going to do better than last season. We're going to move yeah. on to the Minnesota Vikings, who also had a plethora of picks, so let's try and rattle all these off. Uh, at 22, wide receiver Justin Jefferson from LSU. At 31, cornerback Jeff Gladney from TCU. At 58, offensive tackle Ezra Cleveland from Boise State. At 89, cornerback Cameron Dantzler from Mississippi State. At 117, edge rusher DJ Wanham from South Carolina. At 130, defensive tackle James Lynch from Baylor. At 132, linebacker Troy Dye from Oregon. At 169, cornerback Harrison Hand from Temple, at 176 wide receiver KJ Osborne from Miami, at 203 offensive tackle Blake Brandell from Oregon State, at 205 safety Josh Metellus from Michigan, at 225 edge rusher Kenny Williams from Michigan State, at 244 quarterback Nate Stanley from Iowa, at 249 safety Brian Cole II from Mississippi State, and finally 253 offensive lineman Kyle Hinton from Washburn. I give it an A-, minus. once again my highlight being a huge haul for a team that already had made the division divisional round if they hit, hit on even a quarter of these picks that can easily push mini to the next level to that conference championship or maybe even the super bowl better yet if they hit on half of these or even more uh minnesota's gonna be pretty damn scary uh, my low light it's with this many picks it's shocking that they did not go interior offensive lineman uh they they really need it at that guard and center spot they handled the tackles with um Blake Brandell and obviously Ezra Cleveland. Brandell might not really be up there, uh, but Ezra Cleveland certainly will be the left tackle. Brian O'Neill, the second round pick from a couple years ago, will hopefully handle that right tackle spot. But yeah, not grabbing an interior offensive lineman with all these picks or even trading up for one is just ridiculous to me. I, I don't understand why they didn't do that. Uh, a, a diamond in the rough tier, edge rusher Kenny Williams. This was one of the top edge rushers uh if you look at this draft from one year ago, uh, you would be shocked that he was in the seventh round. This was a first-round guy. So uh, if you can get the, him back to that level, Minnesota just found their new Everson Griffin, even though they took uh, DJ one on pretty early as well. Uh, if one of those guys pans out, Minnesota's set. What do you think about the Vikings draft yet? Yeah, no, they're they're in a good spot. My only concern is the same concern I've had ever since they signed Cousins, and it's like, can he actually ever clutch it up? I mean, we've seen it in regular season games, and yeah, he can get a wild card game or whatever, but I just, I don't know that he's got that it factor, and 
you're paying a lot of money to a guy that is like wishy-washy and it's unfortunate so i don't know how you address that the draft as a whole did a lot for the rest of the team but that quarterback position to me is still a question mark and i used to be a cousin's faithful but at some point you gotta go well when are you gonna do it yeah we're going to try and get through these as fast as possible. We're going to move on to the New England Patriots. Um, they traded out of the first round, got a bunch of picks. So let's start with 37, safety Kyle Duggar out of Lenore Ryan. At 60th, they grabbed edge rusher Josh Ucci from Michigan. At 87, they grabbed edge rusher Anthony Jennings out of Alabama. At 91, tight end Devin Asiasi from UCLA. At 101, tight end Dalton Keene from Virginia Tech. At 159, kicker Justin Rohrwasser from Marshall. At 182, guard Michael Onwenu from Michigan. At 185, offensive tackle Justin Heron from Wake Forest. At 204, linebacker Kasha Maluya from, I definitely butchered that, from Wyoming. At 230, uh, center Dustin Woodward from Memphis. I give New England a B, my highlight being that they got two lethal duos of edge rushers and tight ends. Anthony Jennings and Josh Uchi are going to be crazy off the edge. Uh, that's the, I That's a huge huge pickup for them um th- those two are going to be scary in a couple of years and you're not going to want to see that patriots defense uh like they like kind of like they were uh was it this year yeah it was this year yeah it was. um uh and then tight end david asi asi and tight end dalton keen tight end was their biggest need coming into this maybe uh, you could maybe say quarterback but i'd probably go if you if you ignore the quarterback definitely tight end um they just found two starters Asi Asi will be the main guy keen is a versatile guy that can line up as a tight end as a slot receiver as a wing back as an h back as a fullback so they're going to move him around a lot but certainly got a couple weapons here for uh whoever is the quarterback right now looking like Jarrett Stidham, or Stidham. so uh, definitely going to help him out there. Uh, my low light, no QB, that's not a big deal, but they should have gotten more weapons for Stidham. Like I said, Asiasi and Keen are great, but maybe a wide receiver, maybe a running back, um, even if it's in those later rounds, uh, I think that they should have tried to build around Stidham a little more, but they went with that way with the offensive line mostly. Uh, st- but uh, New England has a pretty decent, decent offensive line already, so that's a little bit confusing to me. Uh, what did you think about the Patriots draft? Taking all like fan bias out of it, I, as a general football fan, was hoping that uh, the Patriots would maybe consider trading up to get the pick that was Jordan Love. I thought that that would have been a... Like, we might have been looking at another couple Super Bowls, but they didn't. And so I was thinking later on, man, Jacob Eason is still on the board. Oh, man. You know, like, I'm just, my mind's kind of rattling off scenarios in that sense. And then we ended up with them. I was like, oh, boy. Okay. So I think that was the only thing that surprised me about this draft was I thought maybe that they'd try to grab one of these young potential stars and didn't but outside of that like they did what the patriots do like they added picks later they they took their time they found what they needed and they filled holes that maybe other like just the casual fan wouldn't know was a hole but they went and grabbed a guy that could fill it type of thing so yeah yeah they they did what they do they they know what they're doing very smart. That I really like that Aussie Aussie pick. 
Yeah, me too. I think that's a huge deal there. We're going to jump over to the New Orleans Saints, my least favorite team in all of sports. Um, they had the least amount of picks in this NFL draft, but they sure as hell made good use of them. At 24th overall, they picked up interior offensive lineman Cesar Ruiz out of Michigan. At 74, linebacker Zach Bond from Wisconsin. At 105, tight end Adam Trotman from Dayton. And at 240, quarterback Tommy Stevens from Mississippi State. I give it a B- minus because despite... Having a few picks, my highlight is that they took the best player overall, and also conveniently, they were at positions of need. Um, I mean, they definitely could shore up that interior offensive line. I mean, they got Eric McCoy to be center, so you're going to probably see Cesar Ruiz uh, fill in that right guard spot with uh, Andrews Pete at left guard. Zach Bond is a linebacker who could be an edge rusher, but they need both. So whether whatever he lines up, that's an awesome spot uh, for him. And they've definitely been looking for a tight end for a, uh, a while. I mean, they have – do they stop Jared Cook? Yeah, they do, huh? Yeah, they have Jared Cook, but I know what you're saying. They don't have a guy like Jimmy Graham that can take a game over by himself. Yeah, Troutman is a def- is a developmental guy, so once Jared Cook is gone, I mean, you're going to easily have a guy that will be a star in the NFL. Uh, Tommy Stevens, probably just, you know, third-string guy uh, when Breeze retires, could maybe be competition for Taysom Hill. You don't know. Don't really get that pick. Probably just depth, really. Uh, the low light being... Uh, Breeze is retiring after the season, and they have old players not just at quarterback, but at a lot of positions. So they could have used more picks to get some use when these guys retire or these guys leave. Sort of like that Jared Cook-Troutman situation. Once Cook's gone, Troutman will take over. But at at safety, at corner, they don't really have those guys there that are ready to take over. So that's definitely uh, why I only give it a B-, because they didn't have the picks to supplement that. Overall, I mean, it's a short draft, but it's a sweet draft. What did you think, Jet? No, I thought that considering the lack of picks that they had, they they made full work out of what they had. I was pretty impressed with that fact. Um, again, a team that I thought potentially could maybe look quarterback just in case. Like That's why I gave the Packers such a high grade in my opinion because once you start hitting that 34, 35 range, I don't care how good the guy is. Start preparing just in case. Maybe that backup never gets in, and that's fine. Me, you know, like just, just in case though, because at that age, maybe you get too old and you're crappy, or maybe you get hurt and you're done, like, or you retire randomly. It's that's the whole point I've been trying to make. You got to prepare. You got to be ready. And I don't care how big your ego is. Like that's that's the kind of thing that a franchise has to do. Yeah, uh, we're going to jump over to two New York teams here. We're going to start with the Giants. Uh, at fourth overall, they surprised everyone and took Andrew Thomas, the offensive tackle out of Georgia. At 36, safety Xavier McKinney from Alabama. At 99, offensive tackle Matt Pert from UConn. At 110, cornerback Darnay Holmes from UCLA. At 150, interior offensive lineman Shane Lemieux from Oregon. At 183, linebacker Cam Brown, Penn State. At 218, linebacker Carter Coughlin from Minnesota. At 238, linebacker TJ Brown from South Carolina at 247 cornerback Chris Williamson at Minnesota and Mr. Irrelevant 255 linebacker Tay Crowder from Georgia. Uh, I hope you heard my emphasis on some of those positions there. I give it a B. My highlight being that Lemieux was a steal at 150. He's going to be an instant impact starter, plug and play right away. My low light being why the hell did they take four linebackers? 
I don't understand that. They needed an edge rusher and they needed D line and they got neither. Um, definitely confusing. I don't know why they stacked up on so many linebackers there. They already have a couple, so this is they're gonna cut some of these guys. I, I don't totally get it. I do like the TJ Brunson pick though. I hope he's one of the guys that stays. What'd you think about the Giants Jeff draft jet? Uh well, I gotta wonder if you can turn one of those linebackers like I don't know their sizes. But could you turn some of them potentially into an edge rusher? I don't know. Um, as far as ha- having four of them, uh, it's a setting the fire un- under the ass thing. And it's also, uh, you know, uh, maybe there's a trade in the works or some- something that we don't know about. That's the only thing that would make sense for, like, going quantity is maybe there's just some duress in the franchise that we aren't aware of yet but later that that's the kind of thing that i tend to notice when there's a big splurge on a certain position yeah i agree i i mean that's possible but if nothing happens then you just have four linebackers on their ass and you also already have guys like lorenzo carter who are already a great linebacker so we'll see what happens with the giants let's flip over to the other new york team talk about the jets at 11th overall they picked mecky beckton the offensive tackle from louisville at 59 wide receiver denzel mims from baylor at 68, Ashton Davis, the safety from Cal. At 79, edge rusher Jabari Zugina, Zuniga sorry, from Florida. At 120, running back Michael P. Ryan from Florida. At 125, offensive tackle Cameron Clark from Charlotte. At 158, cornerback Bryce Hall from Virginia. What a steal there. And finishing off at 191 with punter Braden Nan from Texas A&M. I give it a B minus. I love the first two picks. I love Mikey Beckton. He, you know, Denzel Mims, or sorry, I love uh, Sam Darnold needs that protection. They could have gone wide receiver at 11, but they didn't. They went with it at 59 with Denzel Mims. Uh, so you give Darnold the weapon and you give Darnold protection. Perfect first two picks. But after that, aside from Michael Pirine and Bryce Hall, totally don't fall in love with a lot of these guys i mean they tried the edge rusher experiment from a, you know what super similar with jabari zuniga uh was jack eye polite from last year who was a jets third round pick he was an edge rusher he's from florida same thing with zuniga but polite was cut before even the first game so you know maybe some concerns there that they're trying it again uh cameron clark i don't like what he brings he's an energetic guy but he sort of abandons his fundamentals under pressure so uh, you don't want that guy uh, lining up uh, against some of these scarier edge rushers. So overall, B minus for me for the Jets. Uh, the highlight being Beckton and Mims are, you know, they're going to help out Darnold a lot. The low light being the sort of latter half of the draft is weak, especially with the Cameron Clark pick. What did you think, Jet? Well, see, the highlights of the draft for a lot of people tends to be Mims. And I'm just, I don't know. From what I've seen of Mims, he reminds me so much of Josh Doxson, and that just doesn't translate to the NFL. So that's my only concern, but hopefully it works out for him. Uh, That's another franchise that's very storied that I'd like to see kind of come back to its peak, like the Bears, like I was talking about earlier. So, uh, yeah, um, maybe it works out, and I could be completely wrong. I'm just saying objectively what I've seen. Yeah, um, you know, I think Darnold needs these this like to, needs some a lot of development here. Um, I just don't like that they didn't fully focus on that. I feel I think that they 
try focusing on defense as well. Sooner or later, you got to go all in like the Broncos did. Like, it doesn't even matter on your defense. Just give Darnold the, the weapons he needs. Uh, the Completely. balance shit. The balance shit just isn't working out right now. Uh, but you know what? Speaking of a team that went all in on one side, let's go to the Las Vegas Raiders. And uh, <laughs> let's just quickly rattle off their picks. Wide receiver Henry Ruggs third from Alabama. Cornerback DeMont Arnett, 19th overall from Ohio State. Wide receiver Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky at 80th. Wide receiver Brian Edwards from South Carolina at 81. Linebacker safety Tanner Muse from Clemson at 100. John Simpson, the guard at 109 at, from Clemson. And 139 cornerback Amik Robertson out of Louisiana Tech. I give it a C plus. My highlight being that Amik Robertson is my total diamond in the rough. I think he's the guy that a lot of people are slept on. A lot of people may not know totally. But when we look at it, back at this, Roberts is going to be one of the best uh, corners from this class. What a steal at 139. My low light being, how many wide receivers do you need? Uh, they were all reaches, nonetheless. I mean, I, I'm a Kentucky fan. I love Lynn Bowden. Lynn Bowden might not be a receiver at the next level. He can be that Taysom Hill role, Taysom Hill role where he can play quarterback, play running back, play receiver, play tight end, be a special teamer. Hell, maybe even you see him a bit on defense. That's what the thing about Lynn Bowden is. But even then, they reach for rugs over CeeDee Lamb and over Jerry Judy, which, I mean, it doesn't even surprise me. It's the fucking Raiders. I'm, I'm not surprised they didn't take the best player at the position when they easily could have. Uh, you know, that's just a John Gruden thing right now. Uh, Brian Edwards, eh, I don't, I don't like the fit, but, I mean... That, why would you go best wide receiver available there when you didn't do it earlier? So uh, Tyrell Williams, Hunter Henry Ruggs, uh, Brian Edwards, Lynn Bowden, and Hunter Renfro, and Nelson Aguilar are all on the team right now. So I, I, I don't know how they handle that. Uh, that's my low light for them. What do you think about that, Jet? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It, it was just kind of classic John Gruden for me I <laughs> like I'm just I never know what the guy's gonna do and I think like oh man this would be a good idea and I swear to god he'll look through his tv and go Jet I'm gonna do the opposite of that <laughs> I don't know like maybe it works out maybe it doesn't probably doesn't I mean I just feel like we're gonna be we'll hit year 10 of Gruden being there and it's gonna be Oh yeah, he did ten years of nothing. Like I don't know, it's it's disappointing. It's another storied franchise that's just, uh, it's annoying. It's annoying to watch. They should be significantly better than they are. They just aren't, and they consistently make the wrong decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump over to the Philadelphia Eagles, who I think would probably have had the most controversial draft by far. At 21, they selected wide receiver Jalen Rieger from TCU. At 53, quarterback Jalen Hurts out of Oklahoma. At 103, linebacker Davian Taylor from Colorado. At 127, safety Kavon Wallace from Clemson. At 145, offensive lineman Jack Driscoll from Auburn. At 168, wide receiver John Hightower from Boise State. At 196, linebacker Sean Bradley from Temple. At 200, wide receiver Quez Watkins at Southern Miss. Uh, at 210, uh, offensive tackle Prince Tega Wanago from Auburn. And at 233, linebacker Casey Tuhill at Stanford. Uh, I give it a C-. Love the linebacker potential with Tuhill and Davion Taylor and Sean Bradley. Uh, it's about time they loaded up on the linebacker class. Um, should they have gone in in the first round? I think so. I think it should have. They should have pulled the trigger on Kenneth Murray or Patrick Queen. They didn't. Uh, whatever. My low light here, and the reason why this is, 
I mean, this this I give this draft class a C minus because why would you take three wide receivers when you have Alshon Jeffrey, Deshaun Jackson, JJ Arcadia Whiteside? Uh, some of those guys are not going to find work. Uh, I don't know who you end up cutting. Uh, it's I, I don't like the Quez Watkins or John Hightower pick. I don't think they're going to stay for very long. Um, Rieger will probably take over for Deshaun Jackson once he you know retires or just leaves or Alshon Jeffrey either or. The big low light here for me is not. Jalen Hurts himself, or Jalen Hurts as an Eagle, but the Eagles jeopardizing the potentially amazing career of Jalen Hurts just to have him be either a backup or a gadget player is soul-crushing to me, and soul-crushing to probably a lot of people. I don't understand this pick. I don't understand what the plan is. Do they not trust Carson Wentz? Do they maybe want to give him competition like we saw or like we discussed with the jake Fromm, josh allen pick maybe light a fire under his ass let him know that it's not a free ride anymore we got a quarterback right behind you the thing is is wentz is established enough that i mean he kind of doesn't need that fire under his ass he's good enough to get them to the super bowl i think um he just doesn't have the team around him so far if they took jalen hurts because he wanted they wanted him as a gadget player that's even stupider. Uh, all I could say is that the Philadelphia Eagles are normally consistently pretty good at drafting, but right here I don't see on a lot of these picks, aside from linebacker and uh, the offensive lineman picks, which are also very good. Um, other than that, I don't understand the wide receivers. I don't understand the quarterback pick. It's stupid to me. What about you, Jet? What is your take on that? Uh, if I had to guess, I – honestly don't believe that Jalen Hurts was drafted to be a backup or a gadget player. I think what he is is he's a security blanket. So he can come in and be on a rookie deal in, in Philly and that's fine because let's say hypothetically Wentz gets hurt well he's in. And let's say Wentz hypothetically doesn't get hurt well that's fine because he sat two years as a backup. He got to train with NFL people. Everybody saw what his college career was. And suddenly Jalen Hurts becomes a beautiful trade piece. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's almost as if they drafted a trade piece in that sense. So he's... It, it was almost as if there was just too much value there for Philly to let go by. They could have maybe addressed something else, but it wouldn't have had same value in total when it came to the market of trading and that's i think that's kind of what they were looking at when it came to that rieger himself like is he very similar to the receivers they have sure but i think he's going to be the best of those receivers and that's why they took took him because they can replace those other guys rieger's there to stay he's going to be in philly for years you know what i mean so yeah. uh as much as I can criticize and kind of break down Philadelphia for what they did, I also see from a, a management standpoint thinking it's not necessarily, oh, we got to draft a guy to fill this position. It's, oh, we're going to draft the best guy because you know what? There's trade value elsewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I still think it's stupid to draft a guy if it just ends up being trade bait. Uh, if that's what it is, it's still a bad pick either way. I, I don't understand it, even if it is a trade bait. Ultimately, not great, unless they are somehow able to rattle off something amazing for Jalen Hurts. Uh, that's the only scenario where it works out. You, then let me give you this hypothetical. Next year, Patrick Mahomes gets hurt, misses the whole season. The Chiefs go 2-14. and 14. 
and they get the pick that is Trevor Lawrence. Do you not pick Trevor Lawrence for the trade value? I mean, you'd probably just trade the pick at that point. Well, you know what I'm saying, though. The the pick or the player. I'm just saying, trade value-wise, it's, it's very much there. And maybe they didn't see the value that they were looking for just yet, what that pick could have been. Well, you know let's just I mean? move... Yeah, but we should probably with the with the time here. Let's just move on to the uh, 49ers. We'll we'll talk about Hurts and the Eagles in another episode because you know we could probably dedicate an hour to that. Uh, yeah. The 49ers traded DeForest Buckner to your Indianapolis Colts in exchange for the 13th overall pick, but they moved back to one spot to the 14th pick, starting their draft with the defensive tackle Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina to replace Buckner. Uh, then they got their traded up for 25th from 31. Um, to acquire wide receiver Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State. Then they did not pick till the fifth round, where they selected offensive tackle Colton McKivitz from West Virginia. And at 190, they took tight end Charlie Warner from Georgia and finished the draft with, at 217 with wide receiver Jawan Jennings from Tennessee. I give it a B plus. Highlights being the Niners banged out both their biggest needs uh, with uh, Ayuk and Kinlaw at defensive tackle and wide receiver. Lowlights being that they didn't acquire more picks, which you know is a bummer, especially because they needed more help in the secondary. But what my biggest takeaway from this is Joe Steely's retired and now Trent Williams is the starting left tackle there. Um, that's a shocker. So what do you take away from this draft and also the Trent Williams trade? Well, I love the Trent Williams trade. They they did exactly what they needed to do. And honestly, <laughs> I I think Joe or not Joe Staley. I think Trent Williams couldn't have had a better situation happen, which is funny considering how sour the relationship he has with the Redskins. Um, yeah. As a whole, like I, I this, I I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I I think I'm just gonna say it. I honestly think we might be seeing a match this year of the Super Bowl. I think that the San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs are bar, bar none the top two teams in the league. I can't see anybody coming in between that unless Jackson has not only an MVP season, but the kind of season that can outsmart Andy Reid. Um, the Niners every single year just, just do more and more to make me believe that they're going to get a title and uh, yeah like I, as as far as i'm considered one two goes chiefs niners and the niners are right there yeah well we'll have to wait till the season starts we'll see how that develops let's move on to the probably the biggest shit show of a draft i've seen in a while talk about the seattle seahawks who uh reached on pretty much everything they could find Starting at 27th overall with inside linebacker Jordan Brooks out of Texas Tech. Then 48th overall, traded up 11 spots to grab edge rusher Darrell Taylor from Tennessee. At 69, nice, they drafted interior offensive lineman Damian Lewis at L- L- LSU. Uh, at 133, they took tight end Colby Parkinson from Stanford. At 144, running back DJ Dallas from Miami. At 148, defensive end Elton Robinson from Syracuse. At 214, wide receiver Freddie Swain from Florida. And at 251, tight end Steven Sullivan from LSU. I give it a C-, minus. Uh, the highlight being uh, they addressed the offensive line with Lewis, who's an instant plug-and-play. Probably the only real good pick there, in my opinion. Um, it's good enough to give it a C-. minus. 
Uh, also, that Steven Sullivan pick, pretty good as well. Uh, it's not Thaddeus Moss, and I'm sure that pissed him off. But uh, my low light, obviously, being that they reached on everything here. But worse yet, they jumped 11 spots just to grab a guy that probably would have been there had they stayed at 59. Obviously, the GMs know more than I do. Maybe there's someone looking at Darrell Taylor. But as a Seahawks fan, you got to be kicking yourself over that. That was a dumb trade if if Darrell Taylor was not targeted by anyone else because he would have definitely been there at 59. Um uh, like reaching on a pick is one thing, you know, that's normal, but trading up to reach on a pick is gotta be the, one of the stupidest things that a franchise could do. Uh, that's why they get such a low below average grade. Uh, what'd you think when the Seahawks draft yet? Well, I think you hit the nail on the head in the fact that there was probably noise. Like there's always something down the line of, Oh, this team's going to do this. or this team's going to, and I think that was the case here. This was one of those ones where the information the Seahawks were looking for, they ended up getting it, and it wasn't what they wanted to hear, and they panicked. They panicked, and they made the trade, and you know what? If it works out, they look like geniuses, right? So uh, it's tough to criticize until we see them on the uh, uh, field, but yeah, um, I don't know. There's just... A lot of holes on that team, a lot of problems that Russell Wilson covers up. We got four more teams, so let's just rattle them off as quickly as we can. Let's move to the Pittsburgh Steelers, who did not have a first-round pick in the uh, Minka Fitzpatrick trade, but I mean that's basically a first-round pick already. At 49th overall, they started with wide receiver Chase Claypool from Notre Dame. At 102, edge rusher Alex Highsmith from Charlotte. At 124, uh, running back Anthony McFarland Jr. from Maryland. At 135, Kevin Dotson, the guard from Louisiana. At 198, safety Antoine Brooks Jr. from Maryland. And finally, 232, defensive lineman Carlos Davis from Nebraska. I give it an A. My highlight being Highsmith is one of my diamonds in the rust. I... On my podcast a while ago, I said that the Pittsburgh Steelers are probably going to go after Alex Highsmith way before the combine even happened. So I, I look like a genius for that one, and, and I will toot my horn about that one because I'm very happy about that. He is a perfect fit in Pittsburgh, a total steal at two uh, at a uh, where was he taken at 102. Um, him and Watt are going to wreck the house with uh w- over there in Pittsburgh. So what a great pick. My low light is. McFarlane was a weird pick, considering that they picked Benny Snell last year, and they still have James Conner. McFarlane does fit more of that pass-catching role, but you got to think that that means he's going to eat snaps from someone, so who takes it more, um, James Conner or uh, Benny Snell? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Uh, quickly, what did you think about the Pittsburgh Steelers draft, uh, Jet? Well, to be honest with you, I love the McFarlane pick because I don't think they got enough for James Conner. I think that uh, McFarlane can come in and do a little bit of both. He's got that set that really uh, fits the NFL today of being able to catch the ball between the tackles. And I, I, when it comes to who loses snaps between Snell and Connor, I got to be honest with you, I think it might be Connor. Uh, I just didn't see a lot of what I saw the year prior out of Connor this year. And it wouldn't surprise me if we see him phased out. 
Yeah, uh, let's flip over to Tampa Bay or Tampa Bay or, you know, whatever it's called now. Talk about the Buccaneers, who traded up one spot to grab offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs at 13 from Iowa. Then they grabbed safety Antoine Winfield Jr. from Minnesota at 45. Then they selected running back Keyshawn Vaughn from Vanderbilt at 76. Grabbed a slot wide receiver at 161 with Tyler Johnson out of Minnesota. At 194, they grabbed Khalil Davis, defensive lineman from Nebraska. And then at 241, they grabbed linebacker Chappelle Russell from Temple. And finally finishing off with 245 and a running back Raymond Calais from Louisiana. I give it an A. My highlight was worse. was a total steal at 13. Great anchor of that offensive line. Total lockdown defender for Brady on that side. He's going to make sure no one's getting to Brady, and uh, that's definitely what they need. The low light being that, yeah, they probably could have addressed the O-line more. I mean, that's what you need to do to keep Brady upright, and that's where he needs to be. Uh, they could have used interior offensive linemen. They didn't grab a single one. They only grabbed Tristan Wirfs for the O-line. Uh, they focus on the defense a lot and two running backs, which is a little strange to me. Um, I-, I still have faith in Ronald Jones. Uh, Keyshawn Vaughn is good. I don't see. I don't understand why they grabbed another one later, so... Uh, what about what do you think about Tampa Bay, Jet? Well, when it comes to Tampa Bay, I think that they aren't so quick to offensive because I think they were thinking they're gonna have an extra offensive lineman all year when they have Gronk on that. Uh, I think that the idea here, and it's very Bruce Arian esque, is that they're gonna be tight and heavy. They're going to find ways to get the ball to Gronk. And uh, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting year. I don't know if they're gonna be good or not, but my, I mean, I've bet against Tom and Grant many times that I'm not gonna. Do it. it it's gonna be fun. I'm just gonna watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm hoping that the Falcons kick Tom Bay's ass. Uh, but we'll have to wait till the season for that to start. Got two more here. Let's talk about the Tennessee Titans. I called this pick on my uh, podcast when we did our mock draft. Isaiah Wilson, the offensive tackle uh, to at 29 uh, from Georgia. What a good pick there. Get a solid protector for Ryan Tannehill. At 61, what a steal in Christian Fulton, the corner from LSU. Then at 93, Darrington Evans, the running back from Appalachian State. At 174, defensive lineman Larell Murchison from NC State. 224, quarterback Cole McDonald, Hawaii. 243, defensive back Chris Jackson from Marshall. I give it an A-. Fulton falling all the way to 61 is my highlight. That's a great steal for the Titans. I love the Darrington Evans pick. You know, Derrick Henry is the every down of... you know, powerful back. Darrison Evans is going to be the change of pace stretch guy. Going to bring speed to that offense. Uh, I love that one-two punch they're going to have there. Uh, Cole McDonald is someone I'm going to get into in a later episode, but certainly I love his fit in Tennessee. My low light is they really needed an edge rusher, and in a stacked class of edge rushers, they did not grab one. What a miss on that. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Titans draft yet? Well, you know, I was going to say, again, we're in that situation where I was going to say that edge rock thing. But, uh, as far as addressing I think Tannehill has shown that if you give him time in the pocket, he can get things done. So that's that's a major bump. Um, all in all, this is a team that looks like they could potentially be vying for playoff spots. So I think we're just going to see who could actually stick in that starting roster. 
We got one more team left, and it is the second overall pick, Washington Redskins, who selected Chase Young, the edge rusher from Ohio State. Then they grabbed running back slash wide receiver Antonio Gibson from Memphis at 66. At 108, they grabbed the Trent Williams replacement, Sadiq Charles, the offensive tackle from LSU. At 142, another weapon for Dwayne Haskins, wide receiver Antonio Gandy-Golden from Liberty. At 156, an offensive lineman and Keith Ismail from San Diego State. 162, linebacker Kaliki Hudson from Michigan at 216, safety Cameron Curl from Arkansas. And finally, the last pick, uh, 229, defensive end James Smith-Williams from NC State. I give the Redskins an A-, the highlight being they got new weapons for Haskins, and that means he's going to have a much better year. Gibson describes himself as a weapon, not as a running back, not as a receiver, as a weapon. And uh, I think you got to like that sound if you're Ron Rivera. And Gandy Golden, who is for sure a wide receiver, Physical play style, you know, Terry Terry McLaurin is the speedy, deep threat guy. Gandy Golden is the guy that's going to wrestle the ball away from pretty much anyone that tries to take it away from him. My low light is the offensive line definitely still needs work. They could have tried for at least one more interior offensive guy. I mean, they got Keith Ismail, who could play both tackle and interior, uh, but they should have maybe, instead of a safety, gone another interior offensive lineman at 216, even if it's a guy that's just for depth. Uh, so, Jet, your final thoughts on the Redskins, and if you want to deliver your final thoughts on the drafts as, as a whole, go right ahead. Well, so my thing with the Redskins is, and I know that it gets poo-pooed all the time about, oh, you can't be drafting quarterbacks unless you're getting top guy, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know what? They had the pick of the litter here. And I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. Dwayne Haskins is not the guy. So you're putting yourself in a position where maybe they're also setting up like Miami and like... uh, Oh, who else was it I said earlier? That um, maybe they're in the Trevor Lawrence sweepstakes because they're sure as crap not going to be playing any uh, playoff games this year. That's for sure. So <laughs> I <laughs> I don't know what the plan is there. They're another storied franchise that is just in this awful wake of sadness. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure where they're going. Um, hopefully they can figure it out, but... It's it's not pretty right now. Overall, I think that this was a stunning draft. I think there were this was one of the most stacked classes we're gonna have in a long time. Um, definitely by far and away. Um, you know, I've given out a lot of grades here, and I mean this is my first time grading teams, but I mean so many A's, so many B's, B pluses, only a few C's and one D plus. Um, and you know, unfortunately, that D plus is a little bit. Yeah, you know, because I think that the Packers, not because they had necessarily bad draft class, but because the the draft plan was wrong, they should have gone for a draft plan where they're able to win now instead of win later. Um, but I guess we'll see how that pays off for them. So uh, overall, once again, like I said, a great draft class. I think a lot of teams found franchise players. I really, I think every team found a franchise player at least somewhere. Um, I love the Falcons draft. I know you love the Colts draft, so that's from our team. Well, I think we're, <laughs> I think we're going to be pretty happy for the next few years uh, with with, the, with this class. So, anything you want to say, you can plug in your Twitter, plug in anything else you want to say to the crowd before we sign off. Oh, by all means, if you guys are just finding this podcast for the first time, I highly recommend coming back. Uh, follow him on Twitter. It's at the Phantom Jazzy, correct? 
Yes. <laughs> yes, at the Phantom Jazzy. I also love the Shooter Shoot Pod. You can find them on Twitter as well. Kenny's one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Lived with him actually. Great guy. And uh, we are a part of the Blue Collar Media Group. Uh, I highly recommend getting involved with us. Uh, whether it's just tweeting to us uh, or if you want to talk or whatever, we got DMs open. We're a great media group that likes to talk sports. Uh, I myself is uh, at back two. That's the number two. Duh. D-A basket on Twitter. I like to meme a lot and make jokes, but uh, I talk a lot of sports. Have fun. And I'm a big 2K player, so PS4, that's was the wolf, is my username. So, uh, yeah, feel free to meet up or click in somewhere there. Uh, leave it up to a Canadian to plug in the, the same podcast he's on. I know it's one of that person's podcasts. That's how nice we are. Uh, I am Miles Bluequist. I have been your draft professor tonight. Thank you, Jet, for coming on. I'm sure that we will see you again soon when we maybe dissect the Colts a little further. I hope we get you on for that. But if not, you're definitely going to be on future episodes. I already know it. Uh, so for everyone who's watching, thank you very much. Make sure you spread the word. Make sure you you jump on the blue collar media group make sure you give us a follow also make sure to check me out on twitter the at the phantom jazzy where you can find other podcast episodes and also all articles i release for timeskew so i'm miles bloomquist i'm signing off i hope you all have a good night and i will see you guys very night, soon. so peace out